The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now there were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the, the kingdom of God as a child shall not enter it. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear saints, in today's gospel text, Jesus shares a parable about two men. One humble and one arrogant and self-assured. This religious man thanked God that he had lived a righteous life according to the law and for not letting him be like the sinful tax collector. The sinner, the one who collected taxes, he repented and begged for the Lord's mercy and for his forgiveness. And the Lord knows the true hearts of his people, the humble and, yes, the conceited. Now, we all know both of these characters in today's parable, don't we? The humble and the self-righteous. Even our churches are made up of all kinds of imperfect men and women. And oftentimes, us churchgoers are referred to as, well, a mob of hypocrites. Sadly, those who say that are often found to have faults of their own, faults to which they are often quite blind too. I personally like to respond to this by saying there's always room for one more hypocrite, but perhaps the irony would be lost. Unfortunately, there's no shortage of Pharisees in today's world, the navel-gazing, righteous-seeking, glory-driven sinners. And perhaps there's a bit of Pharisee in each one of us. 
Whenever we're tempted to criticize someone else, we need to say, there, but for the grace of God, I go. You see, it's always wrong to compare ourselves with those around us because we don't know the difficulties that they deal with in their personal and private lives. Criticizing others, it blinds us to our own faults. And that's why Jesus, he says to us that we should first remove the log from our own eye before speaking to someone else about the speck that is in theirs. When we study the lives of the saints, we see that they have many things in common. They're kind to everyone and they remind us of our Jesus, our Christ. Despite being aware of their own sin and their need of God's grace and mercy, they radiate this goodness and a sense of gratitude. Jesus is the only example that they seem to point to as they pray to be free from that hypocrisy. Hypocrites, these Pharisees, however, consider their actions and comments to be well-intended. But the good that they intend so often does more harm than good. And it's quite dangerous for us to think that, well, at least I'm not like the Pharisee in today's parable. Friends, it's interesting for me to think that the parable that we receive in today's gospel text that Jesus tells us, it takes place in a setting much like this, in a temple, in a church. Most of Jesus's other parables that he tells us, they take place in, you know, everyday situations. And Jesus, he tells this parable to those people who thought that they were better than others and who seemed to look down on everyone else. You see, the Pharisees did a lot of good for their religion. Their problem was that considering themselves to be better than others, they had a tendency to keep to themselves so that the practice of their religion well, it couldn't be contaminated. And this particular Pharisee in the temple, he stands apart from the others and he prays aloud so that others can hear all the good things that he has done. He's talking to himself about himself as he congratulates himself on what a good job he has done. And as he prays, the word I occurs five times in this prayer. He gives thanks for what he is and not for what God is, nor for what God has given him, nor worked through him. He asks for nothing from God, not even for God's mercy. 
His prayer is all about how great he is and not about how great our God is. He fasts, he ties, and more of his income is given than anyone else's, according to him. He's so pleased that he is so much better than the other sinners, like the tax collector nearby. And he expects to leave God's house confirmed in his own estimation of himself as a righteous person. God, however, well, he thinks otherwise. And meanwhile, this tax collector, this tax official, well, even his body language speaks volumes about his own personal view of himself. He makes himself as humble and inconspicuous as possible with his face cast downward. He realizes what a scoundrel he is. And he makes no excuse for what he, for what he has done. He doesn't seek to justify himself in any certain way. And in his confession, he speaks as if he's the only sinner on this earth. Echoing the opening words to Psalm 51, he throws himself totally on God's mercy when he prays, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And friends, it was rare in Jesus' time for a man to beat his chest. But this hated tax official is so overcome by the wrong that he has done that he beats his chest where his heart is. At the source of his sin, he now so bitterly regrets. There is only one person whose sin he is concerned about, and that's the sin of his self. He acknowledges that God's verdict on him up to this point, up to now, well, it's deserved. And it's just. The only thing that he can help hope for and, and hope for right now and make, and make a new future for him and hope that that is possible is for God's great mercy. And the word that he uses for mercy at this point means to make atonement for my sins. And he has come to this temple where atonement for sin is made by God. Now there is no prayer that thrills God more than God be merciful to me, a poor, miserable sinner. And there's no more welcome statement about a merciful Lord than the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And this means that each new day, you can make a new start in your relationship with God. Because what God forgives, God forgets. Dear saints, allow me to share a story with you this evening about two men. These two men, let's call them Pete and David. Now, David was 
worried about his friend, Pete. Pete was always really hard on himself. He blamed himself for everything. And he, he told David that he felt guilty for not caring for his family as well as he should have. Guilty for not spending as much time with his family, with his children, with his wife, as he should have. Guilty for not being as successful at work as he possibly could have. This load of guilt had carried and affected his sense of well-being as well as his relationship with his loved ones. And his friend David, he didn't know how to help his friend. One day as David was reading his Bible, he was in the epistle to the Romans and he came to realize something. He read how we become justified. That is, how we are put right with God by what Christ has done for us. And this means that no further charge can be brought against God's people because the, ver- the verdict of not guilty has been pronounced over them already. Romans 5.11 Immediately upon reading this, David thought about his friend Pete. He couldn't wait to run and tell his friend that in God's eyes, he wasn't guilty, regardless of how he felt. Jesus had taken Pete's guilt already upon himself. And through faith in Christ, we're already declared not guilty. And we read in Romans 8.11 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see that the closer we are to God, the more we are aware of our own sinfulness. God welcomes the brokenhearted who have nowhere else to turn but to him. And that's why Right after this, we'll sing in the hymn of the day, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. (laughs) On the morning of April 17th, 1530, in his Easter sermon, Martin Luther proclaimed, if you want to abolish sin, You not only wrong sin, but you also want to trespass on the office of Christ and say, I want to be Christ. And this is sin supreme. He continued by saying this, let Christ be Christ. Let him keep his office. We have enough other sins to answer for. In this telling of this parable in our gospel text today, Jesus, he pointed to what he was, has already done for us on Good Friday when he paid the price for our sins so that we might be free from them. This parable, like many of our Savior's other parables, Well, it had an unexpected conclusion and it would have shocked its listeners. 
You see, they would have thought that this religious one, this Pharisee, and not the tax collector, would have merited God's favor, his approval. But what Jesus does is he reverses their expectations in that someone considered the lowest of the low with no righteousness of their own is put right with God by grace alone. And this Pharisee, this ultra-religious one, asked for, for nothing from God and got exactly what he asked for, nothing. And this tax collector received all that he asked for, God's unmerited grace and mercy. Today's parable, it asks each and every one of us who we identify with. And there may be something of both the Pharisee and the tax collector in most of us. And salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, it eliminates every idea of spiritual superiority by any of us. Instead of any feelings of spiritual superiority, we thank God for all of our fellow Christians and all the good things that they do for God behind the scenes. Things that only God knows about. And in gratitude for the fact that mercy of the Lord is new each and every day, we eagerly do what our Lord encourages us to do. He encourages us to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy the Lord has shown you. Mark 5, 19. Today, the text concludes with verses 16 through 17. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the, the kingdom of God like children shall not enter it. What? How do I receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, look to the child, friend, because your own righteousness may not be trusted. Part of the reality of being a child is their lack of independence. A child depends on adults for their very survival. So to receive the kingdom as a child is to receive it as one who has nothing to offer in return. It is to trust in God, to provide the very faith that it demands. And this goes against our desire to be independent and to take credit for what we have. Instead, this called to receive the kingdom as a child takes us back to our very beginning, back to our baptisms, where Christ, he comes to us, ready or not, humble, with no merit, 
and through Christ alone and by grace alone. And may this give you peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.